Brandon Gore, how you doing? John Schuler, I'm doing great. Now we got to update your photo, man, because I'm telling you. So I got this little round circle in the middle of my screen, and I'm telling you, first of all, you look like you're pissed off, right? I'm pissed. And off. then I'm always pissed off. Well, and then you're like you're right next to a, a cow it's skull, a bison skull. A, bison. Yeah, I mean, so like the two of you, and I can't tell if you're sitting there trying to tell me like, dude, I totally took out this bison, or if the bison's like, bro, I'm checking you out. What? And you're like pissed because he's like looking over your shoulder or something. I don't know. Three things. Number one, that's a recent photo, like three weeks ago. Number two, I live in a perpetual state of pissiness. I'm always pissed. Number three, that bison is badass. It's in my kitchen at my house and uh, I love it. So that's why I took a photo next to it. So there you go. See, I look at that and I want to be able to like, what was that bison like when he was alive? He was healthy and loving life. And now he's Pissy. hanging Angry. some old part of him up on the wall somewhere. Like, what does that mean, really? When I'm dead, hang me next to him. Put my skull right? next to the bison skull. <laughs> two, two kindred spirits. <laughs> uh, like, he, he was your puppy at one point, and you guys were buddies. So you just, you know, instead of stuffing yeah, him, you I mean, hung his head. Nice. Nice. In a previous life, I was a bison. I was a bison. <laughs> You know, and I came back as BG and, you know, I'll be back as something else. Who knows? Yeah, who yeah. knows? I'll come back as a, I'll come back as a tree or something. So anyway, what's up, man? Yeah. What are you doing? What am I doing? Well, I'm getting ready for the class. You're going to be here in what, six days? Yeah. You'll be here in a week. Yeah, next so week. So I still got to get this shop straightened up and there's a lot left to do on that. Just getting stuff organized and cleaned up and prepped and ready for the class. And then, yeah, you're coming in in six days. Me and you are going to film some video tutorials for Kodiak Pro. I get asked that question daily. I get an email or a text or a message. Hey, do you guys have any videos on how to use Kodiak Pro? We will very shortly. We have a professional videographer coming to the studio, and we're going to film multiple videos on how to do stuff. So those will be up soon. And then we have the we, Pinnacle Concrete Camp in a week. We're going to have tech data sheets to read off so we know how to use them. How to use the products? Yeah, I, well, I got a binder put together, and <laughs> there's little little tabs based on the question asked. I can just flip to that. Like, how do you join two pieces of melamine? Uh, there's a tab <laughs> for that, and I flip to it. Um, <laughs> we had another enrollment yesterday. Every time we do a podcast, I'm saying we had an enrollment, but we've had a ton of enrollments as of late. We had another enrollment yesterday for the Pinnacle Concrete Camp, and so we can half out. So you still have time if you're if you're listening to this right now. By the time it goes live, it'll probably be a week out, but you still have time to book your flight, get your hotel and get here and attend this class and start 2022 off on the right foot with good skills, good product knowledge, the ability to be profitable. Well, I got something to throw at you. In fact, I don't think I've even sent to these to you yet. I had a customer hit me yesterday, sent me some photos of essentially maker mix versus the mix he was using. The mix that he was using had a 3% loading of gray pigment versus maker mix that he, per listening to the podcast, he dropped by 30% to a 2% loading. And I got this late night text last night, like, John, what do I do? So I'm gonna, you know, give me a second. I'm gonna shoot you over those. 
just to show you what's going on. You and I talk a lot about make or miss, what the expectation, why it was designed. In this case, the color saturation or color richness of this mix. So he was calling me or texting me really in a little bit, I wouldn't call it a panic, but a kind of what we do. John, I took 30% off. So when you get these, take a look at them. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, man, when people put these materials to their paces and see what the difference in quality is. And so here's a perfect example. I just texted yeah, it to you. Yeah, that's crazy. Insane. Yeah, it's night and day. I mean, the the let's call it the darker tile, which is a 33% lower loading. It looks like <laughs> it looks like a 10 times higher loading. It's pretty amazing. Technically, that's a 33.33333% lower loading. If True. we're going to speak in technical terms. And it's funny in his uh, text, he's like, like, John, what do I do? You know, I'm reading it like, I think I'm going to go to 1%. And I said, man, if you're trying to re if you're trying to match that other tile, you might want to go to half percent. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I thought it was funny anyway. And the other product, we don't want to, we don't want to diss the other product, but the other product is kind of the, the other main product concrete guys are using out in the market right now. And right. that difference in color is a result of density of the mix. Our mix is so much denser that the color is richer and darker and even a lower loading than a lower quality product that's more porous, less dense. So yeah, that's a direct result of quality. Yeah, and his feedback was he was really excited about it because his pigment prices have jumped up dramatically, which I think you and I have both experienced with someone we're trying to work with for custom Kodiak colors. But so he was actually, I mean, like I said, he was not, it wasn't hurting his feelings to cut his pigment loading by two thirds. That's for sure. And yeah. then actually ending up with a much higher quality product in the end anyway. It's funny you say that because I had, a, I had a customer contact me today and I copied you on the email. So maybe you read it already, but he was asking about the cost of maker mix per square foot because he's not getting below like 25 a square foot. He's in the U.S., but what he's doing is he's buying by the bag. So he's paying for FedEx for one bag. So of course it's going to be expensive, right? And I told him that, yeah, you're just, you're buying by the bag, the price can be higher. But if you buy a pallet of mix, and even if you have $600 in freight, you're still right at exactly $10 a square foot. And to put that in comparison, if you were to buy uh, sackcrete, just normal crappy sackcrete from Home Depot or Lowe's, where I'm at, if you can get it, because they're sold out everywhere, everywhere you go, they don't have any in stock. But if you can find it at $650 a bag, but you can't cast that at one inch thick. You have to cast it at three inches thick, and you have to have steel right. in it because it's going to break. And so once you make it three inches thick, well, that's three times the cost. It's not apples to apples. So at that point, the cost difference per square foot is only $4 a square foot. Then if you extrapolate that into just an average project, whether it's a sink or a countertop, and I did all this in the email to this customer. The average price increase is like one and a half percent for materials in relation to the cost of the project. And I explained to him that a credit card processing fee is typically close to 3%. The cost to use the best materials on the market is less than you're going to be charged when that customer pays with a credit card. If you accept a credit card for payment, you're paying more money to accept that credit card than you would to use the best products possible to make the piece for that client. I think that's a good way to, to look at it and maybe kind of reframe the whole cost discussion. Yeah, no, that's, that's very important. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, you and I, we've talked about uh, price per square foot on many podcasts, and it's always been a focus on material cost. But there's those material costs have always been based on pallet quantities, not four bags, not three bags, and not getting hammered by UPS or FedEx based on you know 50 pound packages, which I don't even know what that is, you know, based on that kind of um, shipping rates. We were talking LTL based on pallet quantities, which makes a difference when you scale. Yeah, when down. you're when you're buying a bag of mix, which you should. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that want to test it or they have a small project and they don't need a whole pallet. I get it, but you're going to pay as much in shipping as you are for the product, you know. And so there's there's a um, a tipping point, and it's not that far that you could have bought a whole pallet instead of buying 20 bags, 25 bags. If you bought yeah. 25 bags and had them shipped to you by FedEx, you could have got a whole pallet and had it shipped by freight and saved money, or at least been even. Well, I, I just go pallets. That's what I'll do. I'll buy a pallet at a time. Fortunately, I, enough work still rolling around that it, I can afford to do a pallet at a time. I mean, I, I'm not going through it a month. It yeah. takes me about three months now to go through a pallet based on uh, client projects, but it works out. Our guest for today's concrete podcast is Ben Coonan of Cooley Concrete in Portland, Oregon. And I've known Ben for a long time. Um, he came into a class years and years ago. And, you know, I've gotten emails from Ben for, I don't know, probably at least 12, 13, 14 years. We've emailed back and forth over different things. So he's going to be our guest. And I think you know Ben as well, don't you? Yeah, I've talked quite a bit to Ben. You know, one of the things I thought was pretty cool about Ben, and this is a really not really a side conversation but one of the things i still we, we can talk people's um you know business models and material countertops versus whatever one thing i saw that he's told me a lot about anyway over the years is he actually had an in-house reseal company or you know at least one of his employees used to go around and do reseals now he's been an ict user for years but one of the coolest thing to me he used to tell me is, John, by doing reseals, he learned a lot about what sealers to use and what sealers not to use. And that was pretty interesting since I think our industry has got a fairly hands-off approach to reseals. I don't personally, but I think you did too, right? Don't you kind of a hands-off approach? Dude, I was going to say Ben's doing God's work, man. Like that is, <laughs> in my opinion, a thankless job. Is, is something that I won't even touch. Like I, I had a few experiences doing reseals early on when I started my company and I didn't have a good experience with any of them. And for me, the main thing is liability. It's just the liability of, I don't know what this person used to seal with. I don't know what the concrete quality is. I don't know how they installed the piece. There's like too many variables for me to walk into a space and feel comfortable taking it on. But thank goodness for people like Ben that he will do it that's amazing and and you know good for him because that's a valuable service and it keeps concrete kind of in the good graces of of the public you know if, if nobody will Absolutely. go in and fix a bad countertop then concrete gets a bad name so luckily there are good guys like Ben out there that will go into somebody's house and re repair sealer that is you know a bad sealer to begin with right yeah sounds good I, I, good talking yeah, to ben. let's get Ben on the phone all right man all right all right I said, all right.
Started off doing concrete. Um, it's funny, I took an assessment test uh, at, out of college and one of the things that came up as the uh, things that it might be good at are is concrete sculpture. It was, the other two, I don't remember, they're probably like actuary or something like that, but uh, uh, I, I always wanted to do it and I had that, that, that kind of bug that uh, the test sort of uh, uh, created and I took some classes at Santa Monica College and then I uh, worked for worked for uh, Seth Orensdorf down in California for long for a couple of years, and then dude, dude, I love Seth. Seth is great. Yeah, he's a really awesome guy to work for. Uh, I'm not sure if I would have kept on going if it wasn't for him. So uh, a really a, a very good spirit. He's great. So yeah, I, I uh, didn't want to raise a kid in Los Angeles, so uh, came up to Portland. And uh, no one would hire me here because it's so small town and no one, I mean, it's just it's not enough industry here really for in the concrete countertop, at least industry um, to, to, to find someone, find a job quickly. So I started doing my own thing here in my basement uh, about 15 years ago and slowly, slowly, slowly built up the business and I bought a few other companies that were like getting out of the business or selling their stuff. And uh, here we are today. And yeah, it's uh, that's that's my story. See, that's what I remember, nice. Ben. So, did you actually purchase the Cooley concrete, or was that a entity that you came up with? Okay. No, I, I had my very creative Cunin uh, design, which is my my last name. So that was my thing. And then uh, Cooley Concrete, the guys who were who were doing that, wanted to go back to doing engineering and make some real money. So they were selling the business, and they made me a, uh, an offer I couldn't refuse. And they had a good name in the industry um, out here. Uh, more, they did a lot more marketing than I had done. So I bought them and just stick with their name. And so, how big yeah. are, is your company now? You've been around for 15 years. Is it just you, or do you have employees? I was going to be a flip and say we had like 500 people, but we we have I think eight of us right now. <laughs> That's yeah, huge, man. Eight. I know. Eight in this industry so is huge. It's funny, yeah. It's just it's a tiny company, but we we are I guess we are kind of big for for this kind of thing. Yeah, for for a long time it was just me, and then I had I hired like one guy, and then it was just me again for a while, and then you know two guys, um, it, and it kind of shifted back and forth. I have I have some guys who uh, who started with me almost like you know ten years ago uh, with Cooley Concrete, and they're uh, the uh, some of the original employees um, who I hired just after buying Cooley uh, are still with me today. So that's a good group of good and group of people. How do you feel people. about that? Do you I'm like having employees or? That's a good question. At first, it was a disaster because I'm not my communication skills are just medium. The complications are so much worse and grow geometrically. I mean, you're just if you're taking the unit template, you don't have to write down every single thing. You can remember it, um, and you're small, so there's only one job at a time. But once you start handing things off, we had so I had so many things go wrong. It was just crazy, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll just do myself then. So I went back to being just a one man show. And then finally, I'm like, there's no way I, I, I physically can't do this and I don't want to. So, uh, hire people and then you have to just be really careful and make mistakes and, and figure it out. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of coordination that goes on. It's, it's kind of a, uh, there's a lot of bad, but there's also a lot of good. I mean, I've talked to you on and off. You just got done moving to a new shop. Was it a bigger space or, I mean, what, uh, didn't your roof cave in or something this past winter, something like that. Yes. So we, we have been kind of just casually looking around a a bigger space would be nice. 
because um, we were kind of outgrowing our, our, our existing space. Uh, but then the roof did cave in. Uh, it not it, it wasn't like the whole thing caved in. There was uh, some some damage, and also the building department was like, "Hey, you got to figure something out here." The the landlord actually does need to replace the entire roof, and where we thought there's there's no way we can stay there with no roof. Um, we have to move everything out anyway, so it's time to to find a new space. Um, and we do have a bigger space now. It doesn't. It has some some drawbacks. It doesn't have a real showroom anymore. So still trying to to work through that. We've been there for a few months now, but the space is just huge, um, at least for us, and it's been it's been nice. Have you found that a showroom is something that's very beneficial for your sales, or are people coming to you from your website? Like, is it how important is a showroom for your business? It's funny that you you asked that because I would have told you until recently when I had the showroom that it was key for our business, but it doesn't seem to be that big a deal. People will come in, they'll come into the shop and we'll show them stuff. Um, it's not as ideal. It's not like a little space you can kind of have a real intimate conversation, but um, it doesn't seem to be holding us back any. I think if we were smaller or trying to get established, I don't know, it may be, it may be worse not having it, but it seems like we're just going, we, we go by referrals and people come in or call. So it's nice to show them things, but in having an environment that's that's conducive to that is great, but it doesn't seem to be holding us back right now. And you've seen yourself continue to grow. I mean, how is, or do you, because again, I remember talking to you, you were doing some significant amount at one point, it was like floor tiles and this kind of end of a business, or are you still in countertops? I mean, what what opens up for Cooley Concrete? Well, we we do we definitely are um, primarily in the countertop business. So, uh, bar tops, vanities, kitchen countertops—that's a pretty big chunk of it. Probably sixty um, percent, maybe seventy percent. Though we'll have a big project and it'll be something else. Um, well, we've done tiles. We did we did a, a actually for uh, down in California, your way, not a little bit further south in in a. Pasadena, we didn't we didn't install it, but we provided tiles for uh, JPL Lab, uh, NASA's JPL Lab. I think I'm not even sure where it went really, but these big blue crazy tiles uh, that were I think they're two foot by two foot or three foot by three foot, uh, and they were only a quarter inch thick. So we sent all these tiles, stacks and stacks of tiles down there. Uh, so we'll do things like that. We've done monuments, which was a disaster. Don't do monuments unless you really know what you're doing. I think. But uh, yeah, we've done, we do also, and, and then another thing that we do do that's really been great for us is we, and it's just luck that we have to be located where, where Nike is and, and Adidas too. So we'll work with them a fair amount on, on either spe, uh, projects that they're either pushing out to stores and they'll have us do prototypes and then they'll, they sometimes have other, other people fabricate when it's the, a bigger run. Uh, but we'll do some really cool, neat stuff for them with uh, like cleat regrinds and colorful, weird concrete things. Uh, so that's been very good for us. So uh, got a good location here for that. Excellent. So the concrete stuff sounds like it's you gotten pretty diversified over the years. Yeah, yeah. I, I usually make the mistake of trying anything that that sometimes works out and sometimes doesn't. But I, we do get diversified. Although I have learned a lot of that that you you got to be careful. Um, I've done things where like, oh yeah, that'll work out, and not think it all the way through. So um, I've 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 been a little chastened on on some projects. Where like, okay. I do not want to lose that kind of money again on that kind of project. So we'll, we try to stick to what we're, what we're good at. It, and it translates well into some things and not others. We'll, we'll do weird stuff, but within reason. Just 
although I have more time now. I don't, I didn't have time for a long time, but, but now I do. I have more time. I'm hiring nice. enough people, so I don't need to have to be there 24 <laughs> seven. Dude, I, I've, I'm the exact opposite. I have more time when I have nobody. And when I have even one employee, I have no time anymore because I have to be here. I can't break away. Yeah. And I, I had that for the longest time. It, it was, and, and the, the disasters that would happen if I left for just like, you know, seemingly like, like 10 minutes, but I've kind of let go and sort of trust people now. And, and there are mistakes that get made, but they learn really, I mean, what's your mistake, for, like when they make it and they feel responsible, it's, it, they, they, it, it seems to work out and they, they'll, they'll take care of it too. So I have some good guys now. It really, um, it's been a really, a, a, a blessing as they say. So when you say, when they feel responsible for it, how do they feel responsible for it? Because my experience has been when somebody I had employed for me and I had some really good people employed, Sean and Jeremy. And, oh, I love Sean. Dude, me and Sean still text every week. I love that guy. But when they'd make a mistake, it was still on my shoulders in the sense of financial and time wise that it, I'm the one who's paying that the cost of that, right? That's something me and John talked about because John's tried different things where his guys right. get paid a percentage of the project. So if a mistake is made, then everybody eats the cost of that mistake, not just John. How, how do you kind of sort through that? I, I really like what John John's idea there. And I've been trying to figure out something that like that. I, um, I do eat the cost and uh, that is on me. They I think it's more of a psychological that they because I'm not there. Like they can't say, oh, man, you, I wish you had it. There's only there's only to blame but themselves kind of thing. And I think it's also just those particular people I, I, that work for me now are just, they feel responsible. There is, a, if we don't, so I'm trying to, to give healthcare to the guys too. So, and they realize that if we're not doing well, we can't pay for healthcare. So every time a project gets screwed up, they're like, ah, oh, that could have been healthcare that month. In a way that, I mean, I hate, I don't want to hold anything over someone's head, but it helps them kind of realize, hey, look, these, these mistakes have consequences, real life consequences. But I do like the profit sharing idea too. Give them a part of the upside, not just the negative, you know, that they don't get healthcare. Um, give them, a, give them a piece of it, so they they incentivize people. I think that that would work great. I've tried it. I've I've approached employees with that scenario. Hey, what if you're not an employee? What if you're a consultant and you get paid a percentage of the project? And if the project goes well, you'll make more money. If the project goes sideways, you'll make less money, and you'll get paid when when I get a check from the client. Not one person has gone for it. Everybody wants the guaranteed 15 an hour, 20 an hour, whatever it is. They want really? that guaranteed pay. They don't care. They're just like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take the 15 an hour. I'm good. That okay. does kind of blow me away. <laughs> you know, different mindset. Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, it, it, the now I tried it the opposite for a while with a few people. And anybody who's listened to any of the podcasts, and maybe we haven't broached it before, but I called it employee mentality. You know, here are these guys, whomever it was, they showed up and no matter what I paid them, I even tried to go through that as kind of like, Hey, you know, they're $5. Hey, you're getting 20 bucks, $25 an hour, whatever the case may be. But whatever was going on, whoever it was figured out how to get what they thought they were worth. And what I mean by that is tools would go missing or a half hour lunch was an hour and a half or I mean all this kind of craziness and at the end of the week or whatever and we'd sit down and go hey man 
you know, I see here you got yourself for, you know, 50 hours, including some overtime. But, you know, what about those mornings that you and I both know you didn't get here till 930? And then I get some like, oh, but don't you remember I stayed over or remember I got a key. So I came in late. No, no, I don't. And none of that happened. And by the way, you know, what about the air compressor that I loaned you to go do this, that or the other thing? I mean, how does that all work out? So, no, it, it never worked out. So good for you, Ben, if you figured out a way to have, you know, a good crew of people that keeps the wheels turning in the shop. And so let me, I'm just going to ask this because like this starts blowing me away when it, so are you, I don't know, I called it being in my truck, driving around, putting out fires. Are you the one putting the bids and things together or are you just kind of dealing with paperwork now that you've Um, gotten the experience over all the years of, you know, getting to where you are now? So I, I, I envisioned me still doing the bids, but I have, um, one of my, I started, I started sharing that with one of my, my key employees and, uh, he started doing the bids and we just, we went over them a lot and we you know, kind of refined the process and we made a little spreadsheet on some of the simple, you know, to automate it somewhat. If it's like a, you know, countertop, it's a countertop for the most part. So you can make it, give you at least a ballpark with a, without having to, to, to do too much calculation. Um, but he just runs with it and he, he actually bids things a little higher than I would. And it makes, it's actually like, okay, great. Let's, let's, and people will go for it. So I'm letting him handle it. It's, it's been, it's been great. I don't even, I don't even look at the bids before they go out. Um, he'll ask me and we'll talk about complex stuff, anything weird. Uh, do we want a bid on that and how much should we, should we charge for that? But for the most part, he just runs with it. And I didn't think I'd get to that stage, but we're, here we are. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm super psyched. So So that's beyond awesome. I feel like I'm learning something here, (laughs) you know, like, all right, Ben, when are we having business? Kudin business 101 to get where you, so (laughs) this is crazy. So what are you doing, man? Are you retired? <laughs> that's, a, that's not a bad question. I, I have a lot more free time. I go out and I exercise in the middle of the day. Sometimes I'll go out and, and go for a run or, or go for a walk. It's, it's been, it's super weird. I, I suggest the last few months. So it could all come all crashing down at some point. You'll, you'll call me and it'll be a whole different story, but it's been awesome. I, I can, I can look at my, you know, email a lot more and, you know, call my sister or something. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not working feverishly. I'm not there. I was working almost t- t- 10 to 12 hours a day. Every day, Saturday and Sunday, I go in all the time. And I wouldn't, I would seriously, I would go in at, at I get there at 7 30, 8 o'clock, and maybe 8 30 sometimes. And I wouldn't leave until 8 o'clock. I'd work 12 hour days. And now I don't, I don't go into the shop. I didn't go in this week yet. I actually, I work, I'm working from home because there's not, there's, I don't have really, really an office there either, which is part of the showroom issue. But I, 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 it's, it's a good thing too because I'm not even on site. They just handle it. And I don't really have a, an ex- explanation. I know it's, it's been fantastic. It, that, that is the dream. I think everybody would love to get there. I, you're the first person, honestly, that I know that has done it because everybody else I know that has gotten to the point that they have five, six, seven, eight employees. It just becomes a machine that consumes all their time, but it sounds like somehow you got the thing to run on its own and you can step back and enjoy life a little bit. Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. And I don't have a really good, like, Hey, this is how I did it. Um, I kind of just credit, I have two guys who like, I kind of split my position into two, two halves. So I've got one person, um, who does, he does the bidding, he does all the client relations, like the front of the house kind of stuff. Uh, and then I have another guy who does the back of the house. He runs the, the, sh- the, uh, the shop, make sure the jobs are, are running along, assigns the tasks. I'm probably not making, I do, you know, run the financials. I know I'm not probably not doing quite as well. Cause I have 
more people working for me, but it's so much better. Um, and we can, I can, I can actually can grow this way too, because I can think about things and not be consumed with just the day to day, like every moment something's going on. So it's, it's great. Yeah. I'm happy. That is great. Yeah. And then I remember for a long time, I mean, this is one of those conversations that come up all the time, you know, taking, you know, sealers and reseal projects. Now you had an end of the end of your business that did that, right? Cause I remember you had, I'm going to call them your applicator or your, you know, your, your reseal crew. And I'd have conversations when he went out to different projects, either projects using the sealers that you use now or projects that had other sealers on and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Is that still an end of your business? Kind of. So I, I did have uh, people working for me who did do resealing and we just, you know, in-house, we go out and we, people would call, I, I reseal our stuff as well as anybody's concrete. I, I, I would, and we, we did like, like one a week. We, we, there's a lot of, that's for, that's a lot of reseals in my mind, sometimes two a week. It was a big part of our business or, or not a big part, but enough. So it was, it was always there lately in the last, you know, like six months to a year. One of the guys who used to do the resealing he, as well as other stuff, but he's gone off on his own and I, I've just given him all the reseals. I just take a, 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 a small percent. I, I refer people to him and, you know, give him, he has his own license. He's insured. And he does the reseals, which is sort of a it's it's a decent solution for me because I can still have some control and still give someone a good person to do it, but I don't have to deal with like the like eh, there's always something so a lot of times there's something weird happens on a reseal and I don't, it just takes up so much time. So um, he can deal with that and I can go on my way and 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 give people a decent experience, but and have some control, um, but don't have to actually deal with the moment by moment reseal like calls and, and issues. The biggest problem with the resale for me was you're taking on somebody else's problem. And once you put your hands on it, now the client looks at you as the responsible party. If there's a structural failure or a horrible sealer was used or whatever, and you get in there, you start messing with it. Cause I only did a couple of reseals, but one of them was a countertop that was a really, really bad outdoor countertop. And I ended up having to water polish it for days, days and days <laughs> on my knees up on this outdoor bar, just water polishing. And I did the best I could. I slurried it. I polished it. I slurried it. I polished it. I sealed it. I buffed it. And they just walked out and they're just like, because mm. in their mind, they saw something else than what that was. Then they looked at me like I was a responsible party. I'm like, bro, I was polishing a turd for the last three days. Like, <laughs> literally polishing a turd out here. I'm not the bad guy. Like, I remember feeling like they were disappointed and they directing that disappointment towards me. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't really want to do this. There's, there's definitely something to that. And I've had, um, reseals go, go that way as well. Um, having, having the contract and talking to a client, um, carefully helps a lot where you can go. I mean, I, I, my contract grew it each time I did a reseal, it like got another paragraph. Cause I'm like, okay, I didn't see that one coming or I didn't expect that client to expect this. So I put another paragraph in there saying, we don't do this, or this is what you can expect, or this is something that that's ha that could happen to your countertop if you, if you agree. So my, my contract, it's only, it's only one page, but it's a lot of, it's in a smallish type. And it says, you know, we don't do backsplashes. We don't do the vertical edges. You know, we may open up little holes in the countertop. And if it's not agreed upon beforehand, we're not going to fill them. It just got long. It, and this way they can, they can say no. And I'm, I'm giving them a, an out. I want them to say no, really. And I want to make sure that they're okay with this very imperfect solution to their countertop. 
which is a, a reseal that that may and you don't know. I mean, sometimes clients go they, they look at the contract and like like well, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, good, we had this conversation up front, and you're not going to do it, and I'm super happy. You're going to you know find some other solution, and I won't have be responsible or, or you know you won't think it's going to come out great, and it just comes out fair. Yeah, there's there's a lot of downsides to doing reseals. Um, overall, though, I think it, it works out if you're very careful. Well, and it had to be a, quite a learning experience. I'm, I'm guessing you ran into, even in your own business, you've used multiple sealers. I mean, I guess in reseals, you've run into multiple sealers. I mean, what was that in a learning experience to what you're using today? The first couple, I mean, the first year or two uh, of, of, of doing anything, any other reseals, and as well as just doing countertops in general. But I mean, I, I, it was, it was, a, it was terrifying. I'd go into a client's house. I would be that I couldn't sleep the night before. Cause I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work out, man. I don't know. After a while, you just you kind of encounter most normal things or more, most, you just encounter everything. And I can, I can usually spot it when it's going to be a problem. If it's like, Hey, I think this is amper seal or rock top. I'm like, you know, something I, I think it's going to be too hard to get rid of. I'll tell a client, I, I don't think this is going to work out. I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I think I'm going to do more harm than good by touching your countertop. So I'm going to walk away. Uh, I say it really nicely and I tell them I'm sorry, but I, if they don't think it's going to work out, I'll, I'll tell them it's not going to work out. But usually with a sand, you know, you sand it, you have a couple guys, you know, go to town and you scrape off the sealers, sand it off, acetone, something works. It's, it's pretty decent. And I, I will try to do a small spot to begin with and make sure it's going to work out and tell a client, look, we're going to, if I'm, if I'm doubtful, we're going to try a small area here and make sure they agree to it. And then if it doesn't work out in that small area, then we're like, okay, I don't think this is going to work. I don't want to ruin your entire countertops. So I'll just walk away. Something you said a second, a second ago, which I thought was a really brilliant phrase was I want them to say no. That is yeah. so key and critical for not just a reseal concrete in general. You know, if, if you can kind of put it all out on the table and try to scare them from the beginning and get them to walk away when they say yes, they're the right client versus a client that you, not that you do, but a lot of guys do. Oh, it doesn't stain. It doesn't scratch. It doesn't age, you know, blah, 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 blah. They'll do whatever to get the sale, but then it turns into a nightmare. Yeah. I, and I certainly not only because I've, I've learned the, what happens when you don't do it that way. Yeah. Cause I've, I've certainly oversold things and, and it's been a disaster. So I'm, I'm really careful. I try really to be careful. It's, and I'm a natural salesperson too. I'm like, Oh, this is, you know, I love to get people to, to, to want to go with the product. So I have to sometimes rein myself back in and go, you know what? It's very stain resistant. The sealer has come a long way, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I never say I'm super careful about saying, Hey, this is going to be the end all beat all. And you'll never have to worry about anything. I mean, I, you know, that's, and I tell people, look, if you want, if their first question is, is it stain resistant? I usually know this is a bad client. This is not what I want. This is not what they want because I, they, they got the wrong first question. I'll tell them, you know, no, you know, there's, there are things out there in the marketplace that are super stain resistant. You should go with quartz, you know, get some quartz. You'll, you'll be fine. I already know the answer to this, but just anybody listening. So what have you, out of all the years of experience, I know you've gone through different um, solutions in your shop. As a sealer performance, what are you guys running with at Cooley? Well, funny you ask, John. <laughs> you know, we uh, we use uh, uh, ICT. That's our thing. Uh, we've we have used lots of different things over the years. There's downsides to every sealer, but ICT certainly works the best, and it has come a long way recently too. I mean, it's gotten it's gotten really quite good. We we I, I'm keep on thinking, why aren't we doing more reseals? 
uh, people aren't calling us, which is, I am not complaining. We have very, we don't have very many. We just, uh, and I, I kind of thought about that before this call. I'm like, you know, we haven't had a call in a while for someone doing a resale. So it's ICT and uh, for, for our stuff at the shop for, you know, when we do a resale, uh, we were for a while experimenting and, and had like, we give people an option for another, you know, a topical, which, and then that just, I don't know, it's just too complex and, and it, it had issues with, with that. So ICT works. Did you ever use EAP? Yep. What was your experience with the EAP? It seemed okay at first. Um, I'm trying to think what that was. Is that EAP the same thing, same thing as Rocktop? I'm trying to think now. No, EAP was was oh. Kenlock. It sold it was manufactured oh, by yeah. Kenlock and sold through Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. I think we used it on a handful of projects. I don't recall what was wrong with that, but it I know something was. I can't I can't remember. It was a while back. Um Yeah, years ago. That was, that was the yeah, that was the impetus for me to switch from topicals to ICT. That was the the final straw that broke the camel's back was EAP. And I was like, I'm done. Never again. I'm not doing this again. And I yeah. uh, made the switch, never looked back. But yeah, that was, I, I just couldn't do topicals anymore after that. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure, because I'm, I'm trying to think, was that de the delamination issues we had or was that what? But uh, there's Yeah, well, what it was, there's was delamination. And what it was ultimately was the the reseller was diluting EAP with solvent. Oh, and, really? uh, yeah. And so he, Kenlock was selling it to as hundred percent pure and it was white and, and super thick. You couldn't, it was so thick that when you poured it, it would be like molasses. You had to add solvent to, it. you had to add denatured alcohol, 30% denatured alcohol to even get it to spray with a 0.3 tip on HVLP. And even then it didn't want to spray, which is like the biggest tip you can get for HVLP. But started cutting it with solvent more and more and more and more and more. And he did it over the course of like six months to the point where at the end of that six months, you're still paying $300 for a quart or whatever it was back then. It was insane, but it was mm. pure solvent. It was like 95% solvent, 5% EAP. And <laughs> because he did it so gradually, I if he had just done it like overnight, I would have noticed, but you know, I was buying a can every two or three weeks. And so it was, it was, happening so gradually that this can looked like the last can and this can looked like the last can. And I just slowly forgot what it looked like six months ago, but I kept <laughs> adding 30% solvent to it and spraying it. It was one of those things that, you know, I was getting calls from guys coming to my classes because I was using AP in classes and they're like, dude, everything I'm doing is peeling. And I'm like, I don't know. And they, they call would say, Oh, operator error. You're the only person having a problem. Nobody else but you is having a problem. That's what he tells me. You always know when, when a manufacturer, because I am on that end too, if you ever hear those words coming out of my mouth, you know you, you know it's a lie. Except recently <laughs> with the one individual, like I think I told that was, you know, I, I did not realize people were contaminating the sealers, but that's a whole different conversation. Oh, yeah. But if you I've ever hear a man, seen that. Yeah. If you ever hear a manufacturer, yeah, and you are the only one, man, you, you know, that's bull crud. So that's that's what the people were being told. And then they would call me and, and say, you know, I talked to and he says the only person I'm like, oh, I know that's not true. You know, I, I'm hearing from a lot of people, but I personally am not having any problems. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like it's working for me. And then I got a I got a call from a client. It was a lawyer that I'd mm -hmm. done these 
huge countertops. I used to do a tea wash back in the day. It was stupid, but whatever. I, I'd wash the concrete with tea, let it pre-stain it. Then I would seal it with this topical sealer. But it was a very unique look. It had these integral sinks, these huge countertops back when I did installation. And they'd put back-painted glass backsplash, 20-foot tall, over mm. the countertop. So the countertops had to come up and then out to get them out, but you couldn't do that because they had these sinks. This lawyer calls, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm having some issues. My concrete's rough. And uh, so I sent this background. I had a lot of employees. I sent an employee over there because he lived pretty close to them. And he's like, yeah, he's like, she's right. It feels rough. You can't see it, but it feels rough. Anyways, long story short is like, well, dude, you're the only person having a problem. You know, that's what he tells me. <laughs> I was like, I've already gotten like 40 calls from, from people saying otherwise, but he's like, you know, just, uh, he's like, you can't repair EAP, just pull it out, redo it. So I called the client. I'm like, Hey, I talked to the sealer manufacturer. I just got to pull it out. Oh, you can't pull it out because the back painted backsplash. So I called like, you know, well, I'm going to send you some polymer wax. I'm going to send you this. I'm going to send you that. And we, and I had the customer copied on this email chain and this goes back and forth for, I don't know, two, three months. And I probably tried 10 different things, you know, try this on it, try that on it, try this, sand it, put this on, try that. And every time for, you know, a few days, five days, six days, everything's great. And then I get the call, Hey, it's doing it again. And so finally I just said, Hey, I'm going to refund your money. And she's like, I don't want my money. I want my countertops. Like mm. the worst thing anybody could ever say to you. They're the husband and wife, they're lawyers. And they <laughs> sent me this agreement. They want me to sign essentially said I was going to open up an escrow account with like $35,000. They wanted me to come in and completely grind the countertops in place. They wanted me to mask everything, grind everything in place, but they wanted this escrow account set up in case there was dust in the vents, dust in the house anywhere, all this kind of stuff. And I said, guys, I'm not going to agree to that. I've done everything I can. You know, I've copied you on this email chain. I've been very transparent. I've offered to replace them. You turn that down. I offered to replace your money or refund your money. You turn that down. I'm not going to open up our escrow account for $35,000 and grind them in place. I can tell you that's not going to happen. So that was the first one. And then I was having lunch with a good friend of mine that I'd done his kitchen countertops using E32K from way back in the day. Richard James or Richard James Campbell, yeah. I want to say is what it's called. But I'd also made a desk for him like three weeks prior to this that I used EAP on because I still use an EAP because I only had this one problem. So anyways, I'm, I'm having lunch with him. I'm like telling him the story about this kitchen countertops. And he's like, yeah, dude, my, my sealer's kind of getting weird. I was like, oh yeah, by the sink in the kitchen. He's like, no dude, the kitchen countertops look awesome. And they'd been there for years. He's like, they look awesome. He's like, no, the desk you just made me, like where I put my hands, all the sealer peeled off. I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, well, let's go to your house. We go to his house. Sure enough, in three weeks where his two hands sit when he's typing on a keyboard, no sealer, totally gone. You can see it plain as day. There's no sealer there because it was a topical sealer. And right then, it was like it was like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, like, <laughs> like the whole like you know like I'm being pulled backwards, but it's zooming in on me. Like the whole world's crushing down on me because I know thousands of square feet of projects over the last several years sitting AP are just a ticking time bomb. It happened across the board. Everybody at that time started having catastrophic failures. And that's when one of my friends called me up and said, hey, go look at that can of EAP. And I opened it up and I look at him I'm like, yeah, what about it? He's like, do you remember when it was white and it was thick? I was like, yeah. He's like, look at that. It was, it was like alcohol. It was completely clear and so thin. 
And I still had an old can up on the shelf that had like an eighth of an inch in the bottom of it. I opened it up. Sure enough, it's like white paint inside. And that's when I knew. That's when I knew what had happened. It had happened so gradually that I didn't pick up on it. But it was all out of greed. This one person got greedy and started charging, still charging guys $300 a quart or whatever the price was. I can't recall, but it's something like that. Still charging people full price, but selling them alcohol out of greed. Pure greed is what it was. That's Literally crazy. bankrupted tons of companies and caused you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in redos for an entire industry. It's insane. That person now is doing you know, people come to my classes. Hey, do you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. I'm like, super nice. The guy. best con men are, man. He's yeah, nice they're, they're always nice. Yeah. So, anyways, but that's, what that's I'm still I catching out of this, see. though, it's uh, technically it was still user error because you were still adding solvent at the end. Yeah, per the instructions. <laughs> the error was. I trusted a con man with my money, with my business, you know? <laughs> and again, this kind of goes back to not, not to do the whole, me and John always somehow get in this conversation of like how we're different because we are different. But the truth of the matter is he wasn't a user of the product that right. he was selling. He, he was not an actual man making concrete. So, and most people selling this to the concrete industry aren't. They're just middlemen. They're getting in between a chemical company and you and they're repackaging a product and selling it to you with no experience, no know-how. You know, there's just, it's just bad information in, bad information out. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, just spray it on, put some alcohol in it. Yeah, you're good. You'll be fine. Oh, you're right. the only person who has a problem. Nobody else, everybody else has great success. You're the only person. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, it's horrible snake oil salesman tactics that kind of, are so pervasive in the concrete industry, not just decorative concrete, but concrete in general. If you go to World of Concrete and you walk around, it's rampant. I mean, that's that's what the whole concrete industry is, is middlemen getting between end users and an actual product manufacturer of a product and, you know, relabeling it and calling it something. Anyways, get into my diet. Moment right? of silence. <laughs> See, we all have that uncomfortable silence. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, I still, I can feel my blood pressure right now. Like, my blood pressure is so high because that was such a stressful time in my life mm. in for so many people's lives, that, that yeah. six-month period, you know, when it all went sideways for so many people. And it's still frustrating to me that the person responsible for it is essentially skated free and clear. And because there's such a high churn rate in this industry and so much turnover, most of the people today don't, don't know what happened. It's just all forgotten. It's like forgotten history. Nobody even knows, you know? So for me, it's one of those things that just, it kind of drives me nuts, but. So hey. that being said, Ben, <laughs> <laughs> uh, recently you've, Right. You moved over. Um, we, you and I just talked the other day cause, or I guess it was last week when I called you up just as a, uh, you know, just to see how things were going. You've moved over to the Kodiak rad mix. So how is that? And I'll tell you why I'm asking the question before we just give a mundane answer. Recently got feedback, direct feedback from a customer who put the product that he was using mixed up, you know, made a, a tile sample pretty big too. It looked like, you know, about 18 by 18 and then did the same with rad mix had 3% loading of pigment 
in the old mix, 2% in the rad mix. And he was just blown away. I think we're going to, a brand is going to put something together because he, the guy said he had no problem with sharing, but it was night and day, night and day difference. So since you've now incorporated rad mix, what are you seeing? So just to clarify, you're saying that the maker mix is is more color enhancing or more it, it, it enhances the pigment more? Is that you're saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, a good the question. Maker mix was twice as dark as and it was smaller two percent loading versus three percent, but it was twice as dark as the other product with a heavier loading of pigment. So it was a pretty dramatic difference. Um so we, we actually are we are using it on and we're we've just we're not we haven't used it too much. We we're 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 slowly phasing it in sometimes there's definitely feedback that we've got from like joe Bates, well including myself you know sometimes i'm like since i talk it about a lot it's easy to say ah well you know schuler's obviously biased you know what while i'm sitting here talking to you i'm going to try texting you the pictures just so you see what i'm talking about sure see what your thoughts are but anyway i was just curious but how so you're saying you're just starting to implement it uh, we did have one just actually a day or two ago where they they added I I put on the bat sheet the maximum amount of plasticizer to use and they 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 in the past just have used pretty much everything that I put in they put in but I I wasn't as clear as I could have been that this is the max amount of plastic plasticizer and water and go slow because it's a new mix it always go slow but they did the whole thing and then it was they turned into soup so um, but. It's going really well for the most part. If they, if, if they, you know, they got to back down the the plasticizer just a hair, or just be a little more careful. Um, but yeah, it's going great so far. So good. No, uh, no complaints. Are you using TBP with Maker Mix? We are. Yes. Yep. We were using a lot of Liquid 420 when we we're we we're doing our our mixes. Uh, we we've moved away from that completely now, which is nice because that stuff does seem to have a a, a smaller shelf life or a pretty pretty yeah. limited shelf life. Uh, so this has been great. Yeah. It's simplified everything and, and, uh, all, all good. Haven't had any, uh, nothing except the, the over plasticized, which is just a user error. Um, so far so good. A week ago, I updated the mix designs on the Kodiak pro website. So if you haven't downloaded oh. them yet, you can just go to the rad mix page and click download mix designs and everything is there. Okay, cool. Thank you. I will. I had not seen that, but I will do that right now. And if you take a look at your phone, I just texted you those pictures. Oh, I see it. Let's see. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's quite a... <laughs> that's significant, right? That's like a different pigment or a different, completely different loading. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really and significant. And so, yeah, to put wow. in context, because I, I mean, now that you're seeing the pictures, so what you're, let's, I'm going to describe it as the lighter tile. That's actually the the mix that he was using, similar to what you were using. That's an ECC mix with 3% loading of pigment of gray. And the other tile is the rad mix, 2%. Now, if you hadn't put those head to head, you'd never know, huh? Yeah, that's that's a lot. I will have, I will do some testing based on this. Um, it's good to, good to be aware. Uh, luckily most of my, you know, we, we try and we tell clients, you know, it's gonna be a range anyway, but that's, that's enough so they'd be a little bit, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's more than just a, a, a hair off. So yeah, that's, right. that's, uh, but it's nice. Cause you I mean, hell, if it's more, if it's more in color enhancing or more, uh, uh, less pigment. Yeah. That's one of the things if you ever, you know, if you get a chance, if you haven't already listened to some of the older podcasts, 
that we've been pretty upfront about is the idea that these mixes, part of their design is that, you know, I mean, I call it quality, but uh, richness of color where the same thing. I mean, so this, his name's Troy, actually. When I was, <laughs> he first called me up and we were having this conversation, I told him the same thing. And he's like, well, John, it was funny in his text because he texted me literally, I think, was it night before last or something? He's like, hey, man, I don't know what to do. You told me, you know, you told me to take a 30% and I did, but they still don't look anything alike. <laughs> I'm all sorry, man. It was, it was kind of a funny text. So he's actually going back to like a 0.8 to 1% because apparently he needed to, within reason, match that lighter tile. But the, uh, and to me though, that was the exciting thing is now somebody took him head to head you see a significant difference and understand what the difference in this mix in the in quality of a product that you're producing. So that's kind of exciting, I think, anyway. Yeah. And that's yeah. result, well, not a result of density. You know, the higher density yields these richer, darker colors versus the lower density product, which you have to do a higher loading. But something that we haven't talked about, but is is coming is with the COVID material shortages and the roadblocks with uh, transportation, pigment prices are going through the roof. So we're, we've been working on doing some custom pigments for a while now. And John talked to our blender yesterday or today. Essentially, the blender said, hey, on raw pigment cost, what I was paying $3,000 for is now $19,000 for the same yeah. amount of pigment, like when it comes over in, in containers. So it's not Jesus. like it doubled. It's gone up 600%. Across the board, pigments are going to start going through the roof, whether you're using mm. Davis or Solomon or Brickform or whoever it is. It doesn't matter because the raw ingredients coming from China or South America, where these oxides come from, they are so much more expensive. And so things like Maker Mix, where we're using, as, as Troy is going to do, one third the loading to get the same color, you know, before when pigments were cheaper, that wasn't a massive cost savings, but for guys that do a lot of pigments going forward, when you're able to use 30% the amount of pigments and get the same color, when pigments are costing, you know, whatever it's going to be, $30 a pound, that could add up pretty quick. And so the the slightly higher cost of Maker Mix is offset and then some by the savings of pigments. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that's a great point. That's an amazing. So <laughs> <laughs> awesome, and that's so that's what it's boiled down to. You know, I'm still flabbergasted. I I feel like I'm being schooled by uh, Ben right now. Still about business 101. Eight employees that today he went. You know, swimming. He's taken up swimming in the river doesn't yet i haven't shown up in the shop for a week i mean that's just blowing my mind still i don't know what to say i think i'm still shocked i can't even have i can't even have one employee anymore just the stress of having one employee is unbearable for me i can't imagine having eight but that's incredible yeah i mean it's just insane it's yeah i'm, I'm pretty psyched and I, I i had always thought there's like a theoretical point where if, when i get big enough then it'll start to become like functional and i won't have to do all this stuff. And, um, I didn't, I didn't, I thought it'd be a, a lot bigger, like 20 or 30 employees where you'd have like, okay, you have an actual, you know, personnel person, you have, you know, more each, each person has a task. Um, but now it's, it's, you know, eight guys and they, they self-regulate, they, they 
do their thing and I, I get calls and there's an issue. Um, but they, most issues they deal with themselves too. Like if, if the install is not going, going well, I don't get a call usually, unless it goes really poorly, then, then I'll get a call, but, um, they'll, they'll, they have the experience and they'll come out and they'll fix it. So, so would you call them regulators? Uh, well, self, self regulating. Is that what I, is that you're, you're asking? Well, I'm thinking more like Warren G like regulators. Um, no, so regulators. Talking about. <laughs> regulators. No, 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 nobody, nobody. No, sorry. <laughs> I thought we're all the same age here. Well, what do you see for Cooley moving forward? Sounds like you got it pretty buttoned up. Are you looking to get into well, any other avenues? Well, right now we're still in, in the in the throes of our move. We actually still have we haven't unpacked all our stuff. So, so short term is get our shop dialed in again and get that looking good. So we lot there's a lot to go on that still. And we're so damn busy, which is I, I can't complain. But we've been just, we 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 are always like always like oh yeah this this winter time will be it'll be nice and quiet we can kind of get organized. But we're always busy, which is good. Um, so I can't complain. Uh, but it's hard to get ahead of stuff and 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 do projects that are that are like organizational projects and and make you know build out a little bit of a showroom or something like that without having some downtime. Long term. That's a good question. We, I, I, I'd like to move a little bit more toward the commercial end of things. The jobs seem to be um, more interesting and and bigger and more prof- profitable. So that's that's uh, where I'd, I'd like to be, and then do our, our our bigger countertops and that kind of thing as well, uh, as needed. But I think the commercial space is as uh, more interesting to me, and and uh, I like that more. And what steps are you trying to do to to move that direction? Well, one and small step is that when we do get a commercial bid and we take it you know, really seriously and we try really hard to, to win those bids uh, and a little bit less so, we, we try to, if, we, if someone calls me and says, hey, I want a, you know, a single vanity countertop with an undermount sink, I, I, you know, I found I almost can't make money on that. So that kind of stuff we're trying, like that's an 80-20 rule where those kind of things just take a lot of take the same amount of time but they they don't work out very well in the bottom line so trying to de-emphasize those little guys and emphasize the bigger ones beyond that though is to actually get my now that i do have some time is to go out and, and hit these clients who who have worked with us in the past and show them cool stuff that we're doing get out there and show them some samples give them like be more proactive which we've never really been um jobs has kind of come our way so I want to get out there more and, and really just say, hey, you know, here's some cool stuff. Can we, can we come by and, and, and show you some cool things? Because we have some really interesting stuff that we can do. Well, Ben, this has been a good conversation, man. We've gone on a little over an hour, and I think this is a good stopping point. But it was really great catching up, and I look forward to seeing what Cooley Concrete does in the future. And we should visit again maybe in six months and kind of see how things are going. That sounds great. I appreciate it. Yeah, sounds the, good. Uh, the the talk this was fun all right guys all right ben good talking to you you as well have a great day take care adios adios Adios.